Or should I have stayed on the bass? Yeah. <laughs> I was doing the higher end and then you switched and I was like, oh, I'm confused now. What's he happening? He wants to have all the big bits. Yeah, if you were doing the bass, you stay on the bass. Maybe this is why you couldn't hold down a band for longer than a year. Men, men, men. You want to do all men, the parts. Men, no, men. I think that's why the band lasted as long as it did. Uh-huh. Ooh. or something that was one of those yeah. things that kids would tell each other people would be like don't call me dude that's a camel's penis and i was like well now i'm definitely gonna call you that yeah dude you now you've you've created an excellent way to mock you thank you for that nice one camel dick yeah fucking we'll just call you camel dick from now on fucking idiot i'm not even gonna call you dude you'll be listen you'll be begging how begging did all this to be shit, called dude how did all this shit like things like that or Marilyn Manson, you know, removed his ribs to blow himself. How did that what? manage to... You, you never heard that? No. What? No. Oh, no, you've just undermined... Uh, undermined. I, wa- I was also... What's the word? You've undermined the English language. So I was also a girl and not interested in Marilyn Manson in any oh, okay. way, so, you know. Yeah, but it was just one of those pre... Memes, like before there were memes, there were just It was like, like an intergenerational rumour. Like the the S thing that people seem to carve into stuff. It just seemed to permeate, you know, across schools. Even though there was no social media or anything. So that the the rumour was that Marilyn Manson had his lower ribs removed in order to blow himself, to be able to blow himself. And that seems to be a like I said, a, a permeating, like, kids at different schools and in different countries all heard that rumour, despite there being no mechanism for them to communicate in the way that we have now. Mm. It got around the world. Around the world, around the world. <laughs> he really does see around the world a lot. <laughs> okay, it's... uh. It's almost Easter. How are we feeling about Easter? Have we? We're about like, is this? We're over the the one quarter mark for for the year now. Are we? Yeah, because uh, f- twelve divided by four is three, and this is the fourth month, so we're over the quarter. Correct. Yeah, there you go. Quick maths. It wasn't really that quick, if I'm honest. <laughs> you wanted to, you wanted the explanation. Yeah, I guess. It was quicker than your math. I showed I showed my work on that one. Anyway. Just So we're over the twenty five percent mark for the year. How are we all feeling so far? This is the the next holiday milestone after New Year's. I mean, yeah, I guess. Is it the new holiday milestone after New Year's? I feel like the universal one is Easter for I mean There's Anzac Day. Oh not Anzac Day. Um Australia Day. Yeah. Is it though? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But that's not relevant to people outside of Australia. Sure. It's not even relevant to some people living in Australia. Correct. I feel like everyone, even if you're not Christian, you know about Easter. Oh. You've heard the rumours. Yeah, 2023 is starting off pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm working a lot. I'm happy with my philosophy degree so far, although my first assignments are coming up. So, you know, that'll be the first feedback I get on how well I'm doing and how much I'm understanding, but I feel like I'm doing well. First assignments are always the the hard milestone to get over because you don't know, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I don't know how well I'm doing in general. I don't know if I'm behind. I always feel like I'm behind, even if I'm doing a lot of study. And then when we're finished with the first round of exams, it's like, ah, I was correct. I am stupid. 
Well, I'm I'm looking forward to one of my first essays is going to be a defense of suicide. So I've decided Based. to I've decided wow. to come out swinging and get right into the Do you have a case study like Hitler? Wow. Um no, it's it will it's going to be like a refutation of Camus sort of feelings towards suicide in the face of absurdity. What was his uh Well, take? he he believed that the the question of suicide is the biggest philosophical question that we that we face or or, or at the time that he was writing at least that's the biggest question on the table. Did they and have the trolley answer- problem at that time? No. Ah, well there you go. And his his answer to it was that it's bad, basically. <laughs> that you should live in defiance. Thanks, Camus. That you should live in defiance of uh, of the absurdity of That's life. That's such a weak-ass take, because I don't think there would have been anybody who's pro-suicide. Like, was this a book or, like, a thesis that he wrote? A uh, short book, I guess. Yeah, so, Essay. like, imagine hyping it up as, like, the biggest philosophical question and then coming down on the side that everyone... Would have picked anyway. Well, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some bombast in your writing, like Descartes coming out and being like, "I'm about to prove the existence of God to you all." Did he? I mean, I don't think so. Fair He's enough. What was his just justification? Basically, just- like, well, I feel like there is one, and if the uh, idea of it exists in me, and I oh, the- it's that fucking dog shit argument. Yeah. Do dragons exist? Do unicorns? Although I, you could I say that they're, they're an amalgamation of ideas that come from somewhere outside but of the person. But that's a cop out. Like, no, being, it is. I think I think Descartes' argument is bad. I don't I don't like his argument. But I'm just telling you what it is. I know, but it's like I've seen too many like atheist debates now where they're like, well, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation means there's a presupposition that God exists. It's like, I, that's not how that works. I, I would be interested to know what Descartes makes of emergent phenomena if he feels like, you know, the rock only exists because it comes from a bigger stone and everything that comes from something else is a, is a lesser version of that thing. And there's like this this chain that you can work way up. And what about emergent phenomena? We've talked about it on the podcast before. Things like waves that come from, you know, seemingly nowhere. Yeah. I I would be interested in how Descartes would square that with his theory that, uh, you know, for every, everything that exists is like a, a sub subsidiary or, or something of a, of a, of a greater thing. Well, if Such he's a, as the idea of God as a subsidiary to the well, if he's a creation, if he's a creationist, wouldn't he think that like, God made the waves? Exactly. Yeah, there's a limit to your Christian philosophy. Same with Kierkegaard. 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 I thought it was Kierkegaard. Well, or is that a different guy? No, same guy. I think it's Kierkegaard. Look it's it not. up. Look it up. No, I'm confident. It's Kierkegaard. I don't even know how to spell that, so I can't even Google how to pronounce oh, it. Trying to fact check me. Thwarted at the can't, first hurdle. <laughs> can't even do it. Have so, you looked up the pronunciation? Who? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I listened to multiple lectures, including someone who's an expert on Kikigora, talk about him. Uh, it's just other people. <laughs> other people who are even, wrong. Even the, you know, because I tried out one of those, like, speechify but not speechify style reading things. Yeah. Mm. And even that knows how to pronounce it. All right. It's Kikigore. Kikigore. That sucks. Alrighty then. Um, how are you doing, Ellen? How's Easter? Yeah, good. I'm currently laying on the floor, but only because I did a lot of cleaning today and yeah. my feet hurt and my back hurts. I still haven't also- washed the bean bag. And also we ate food and now my body's like, it's time to sleep, which time is probably a bad idea. Time to rest and digest. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm laying, but I'm listening and I'm engaging. I always loved learning about the uh, somatic and autonomic nervous system because one does fight and flight, the other one does rest and digest. And whenever they would cover the function of rest and digest, they would always use like an example like, so... Let's say you have like a really big meal and it tastes really good and then your body, you get all sleepy and that's your autonomic nervous system. And I'm like, that sounds lovely. It's a lovely description. Now I'm hungry. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite thing to learn at school? What was your favorite subject? Who are you asking? Either of you. Both of you. Um, I particularly liked history. Okay. 
What did you like about history? Uh, just learning about different times and different events. Yep, that that's history. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, literally just the that. names, like, the places, that's the what people, I, that's the what order I in which the events happened, yeah, the specific I, I don't years. Know what, I don't know what to tell you. I literally liked that about it. I still do. I think it's. Is fascinating. there a particular branch of history, like modern history or natural history oh, or history art history or what? Um, modern I, history is dumb. I hate modern history. Modern history is dumb. Art history is kind of. Cool. Um, I like ancient history, so like the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans. I actually have an ancient history book that I got because I won the like top academic of the year award for year five and usually got some kind of present for it uh, or gift for it. And I got uh, a book on ancient civilizations because that's what I was into. That and sounds still, cool. And still am into. I credit that to playing... Uh, innumerable hours of Age of Empires. Yeah, Age of Empires is a good... That's a good, like, first video game for nerdy kids because, yeah. the like, it's a lot of fun, but the loop isn't too addictive. Yeah. Um, Not like modern games. Modern games have got it down to a fine, fine science. They do indeed. Just hooking those kids in, getting them to purchase Robux. Well, I'm playing a new game at the moment. I think it's called Frontier. And I think you and I, either we both got it or I got I it I may in a or sale. may not have gotten it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very Age of Empires-esque, but it's, it's a little convoluted. It's got extra complications in it. I'm not quite sure how to play the game properly yet, also because the tutorial is not good at all. It doesn't really explain any of what's going on it's a lot of guesswork it's very much like playing um Sid Meier's Civilization where you are just like it, that has a really good tutorial but there's also a lot of guesswork where you're just a bit like well I guess I should do this now well I guess I should be doing this now so you got you just gave a bad review for uh Frontier well it's not bad it's not that it's a bad game I also haven't finished playing it I've only played for like a couple of hours so I can't give it really a good or bad review it's just so far it's been a little bit difficult to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing but I'm getting there I'm slowly learning and I'm sure after a couple more hours of playing I'll get it so I don't have Frontier I have a game called Frostpunk oh Frostpunk is a great game I've played many hundreds of hours of that so. I don't remember buying this I have too many games Frostpunk is a good game and everybody should play it and games Frost- are like books for me I just buy them and then never like do anything with them and then I feel bad about myself because it's like I should be doing more with these things no nah, man and I feel good about my books all over every flat surface in my room that I haven't read or I've only slightly read yeah your room would be like really exciting like like if you were going out with like a book nerd and she came back to your room and saw all the books she'd be like wow this guy's really he's just like he's so smart and well read in reality those are just big coasters for other books yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, I would like to say to all, usually 15 of our listeners per episode at the moment, get Frostpunk 2 when it comes out, because it's going to be awesome. Us. They're not paying us. Yeah, we're not doing unsponsored plugs. Yeah, I know, but Frostpunk 2 is going to be good. People should play it, mostly because I think it's going to be a good game, so play Frostpunk 2. Okay. Um, so your Easter's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, my Easter's been all right. It's been very, very busy. April's been like, we only just started, but it's going to be a very hectic month for me. And uh, it's going to be busy for you and me when we go away. Yeah, we're going away in a little bit. I've got, um, I just had two exams the other week Fine. and I did, uh, not so great on the first one and I was late to the second one. So we'll see how that goes. Fun. <sighs> well, what were we talking about this episode? Uh, yeah, so we put out a post, a prompt post. Uh, how does traditional masculinity hinder emotional growth and self-discovery? Um, so we put that out there into the world to, and, s- to stir up trouble. And to our delight, we had a comment. Yeah, so from Aljandroth. Alejandro. Alejandro. Oh, no. <laughs> Alejandro. Alejandro the okay. Ale, Alejandro. Alejandro. Ale, uh, don't do the role. 
Don't do the role, oh, just white girl. Just because I can do it and you can't, we are have young, a sad. And I know you love me, but <laughs> I cannot be with you anymore. <laughs> Alejandro. <laughs> Alejandro. Um, anyway. Uh, That's a good song. It so we got, we got a good response here from uh, Aljandro. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. And that he, she, they says, uh, sometimes it feels like I have to shove down my emotions to fit into traditional masculine roles and have to hold on to my emotions until I feel I'm safe. I'm in a safe space. I'm glad I have therapy, but if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have many spaces as a man to really explore my emotions. And we responded, well, Dylan sent a response that I then put up on the social media because... I'm running that show at the moment. If you scroll down. I don't see any replies. There is a reply. I oh, definitely I don't see replied. It. Yeah, it was there earlier today. Yeah. Scroll down in the comment, maybe. Well, you can't do it because Instagram. There you go. Oh, wait, no. Man, I hate that. Just do what I told you and it would have worked. Well, we're scrolling before, but it's just, it's not right. a very intuitive design. True. So we sent out a quick response, as we are wont to do. Uh, but I feel like we should cover it in more depth here as well. So the response that we gave is, remember, your masculinity is just that. Yours, your emotions are part of it, and it's up to you to... Uh, and it's up to you what it includes and how you choose to show it. So that's a pretty... I feel like that's a pretty cool response. That's the... Yeah, props to Dylan the, for that one. The pre-approved response. But um, I want to touch on this concept of like safe spaces and the lack thereof for for male voices do we feel like there are adequate amounts of safe spaces for guys to talk about their emotions yeah i don't i mean i'm not a man but uh, get out i would say not welcome here i would say no it feels like especially with the comment that we received there are not a lot of safe spaces spaces for men to be able to express their emotions the way they would like to. What do you think about Albo crying recently? Who? Did he? Yeah. Albanese, when? Oh. Recently in a, in a, some kind of press thing about voice to parliament, I think. Oh, okay. No, so I didn't Was it like see. a Jordan Peterson cry or was it like he's saying something real? I don't know. <laughs> I just saw him crying on my timeline and I was like, okay. I don't really have any strong feelings Either which way. Well, I didn't. Albanese. I didn't know about it until just now, so I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, neither. Uh, to be decided. We don't know if it's uh, if it's a based cry or a cringe cry. Well, going back to the topic, how do you two feel about that? I feel like I should be asking you two. Do you feel like you have yeah. safe spaces as men to express your emotions? Not in most spaces, no. But I feel like I don't know if this is an experience that that girls have where, like, do you feel comfortable expressing your emotions in most places? Yeah. All right, well, then that's nice to be you then, <laughs> I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. Because I was going to say it feels like that's most places. You just not. It's not appropriate to be expressing your, your emotions unless it's, like, I don't know, appropriate or positive in some way. Like when somebody says, how are you doing? You say, I'm good. No. Nope. That's, that's it. I mean, probably at work, I would say I try not to. Well, that's that's all the that's the place I'm. I mean, only. yeah, that's. I mean, that's a professional setting, and I would do my utmost to not ex like express too many emotions in that uh, that sort of sphere. But um, in most places, I don't have an issue with that. Like out in public, if I'm having a discussion with someone, it's getting it's getting heated or I'm getting upset, I will just be upset. I'm not going to hold that in for other people. I'll be upset. So if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry there. So Do you cry in public? I have done, yeah. And But is it a thing you try to avoid? Because um, I've shit myself in public, but I don't like do it. <laughs> I wouldn't just say that I should. Man, I tell you what, taking, uh, even with belly pads on, taking push kicks to the stomach when you've got a hot shit just <laughs> locked and loaded like that. That was my morning this morning. Just oh, yeah. Jesus. So you didn't go beforehand? I did, but, you know, there was there was left some left in there. the chamber. Damn, dude. And I I could feel it in the on the drive there. I was like, oh, no, this is, I haven't squared this problem away. <laughs> and then, yeah, we were doing... Uh, 
doing sparring that involved getting push kicked repeatedly to the gut. Jesus. Um, yeah, I had, I had a similar thing with jujitsu where like I jitsu. Pushitsu. <laughs> well, I, I it was like I didn't go to the toilet. Pushits poo. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. It's a perfect. That's pun. like that ACDC song. It's a uh, Pushits poo. Who made you? What? I don't know that song. Who made you? Pushits poo. Who no made idea. you? You remember what the that? hell fucking song is this? I you don't know that one. No idea. You what guys you're talking suck. About. Somebody, somebody knows this song. Somebody listening. One of the fifteen people. Maybe yeah. the guy. Maybe. Well, damn Cameron and talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Game and Squat. Anyway, um, yeah, so I was, I hadn't gone to the toilet prior to going to um, jiu-jitsu. I didn't need to poo, but I should have gone beforehand because I needed to fart, and it was like... Gross. The whole time we were doing drills, Hey, I was, you, we just got over... To talk about how men don't have safe spaces to express yeah, themselves. Yeah, man, this is my experience. This man needed to fart. <laughs> I That's how he felt. Okay, but... I felt the need D- to fart Dylan, while I was sparring. Dylan, you've smelled his farts. Yeah. They're pretty bad. It's like... it. It's, and that's it's how like, he's feeling. His gut biome is telling a it's story. Like a, it's like a bioweapon. His farts are a bioweapon. Somebody needs to jar those up and send them off somewhere. Anyway, um... Yeah, so, like, I needed to fart badly during, uh, like, drills or whatever. You would have killed someone we if do, you It's had. like a, it's a 90-minute session, so we do an hour of drills and then we do wrestling at the end, just, like, free sparring or whatever. And I, I did pretty good. It's actually really hard to hold in a fart when you're doing jiu-jitsu because of where your legs are going and the positions that you're getting put in. But I was doing a pretty a good job, I think. But then we started rolling. And the guy that I rolled with uh, took both my legs and put them behind my head. And it was just, <laughs> just the, like, it was that. It was it was not like I squeezed out. It, it didn't seep out. It wasn't a whiner. No, it was a, it was a. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a, Jesus. A fucking honker. And I yeah. know exactly what your fart smell like. And if he'd gotten a face full of that, he would have died. You would have killed that man. He's dead now. His yeah. family, it was, his it was, family miss him so dearly. So what are you, a poo belt? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah, my white belt was brown that day. <laughs> um, ah. Yeah, so that was, and it was like, there's no way that nobody heard it as well. Like sometimes, <laughs> you know how sometimes you can do... <laughs> Do you know how you, sometimes you can do like a little fart and like you're aware of it, but it's like it's, you know, it's not clear that anybody else noticed that it happened. This was not that. This was <laughs> loud and proud. Ah, uh, well. And it was really embarrassing as well because it's the like there's a older like purple belt that's been like focusing on me specifically. So like whenever we do drills, he's like, you come here, we'll do this. And he's really nice and he shows me all the right stuff and we've got a good rapport. And you farted in his face. <laughs> Yeah, he's like. He's what like, did he say after you? He didn't say his anything. Face? He was really. Very, yeah, he's just. We kept going, and it was all good. Was, but I, I saw it in his face. He, <laughs> <laughs> it happened, and I saw the reaction in his face. <laughs> I, just, I just had to keep going. <laughs> you just start tapping out like nothing's even happening. Just like I'm, I'm tapping out. So that was that. Um, Gross. So uh, yeah. So do you? Like so, you don't generally like cry in public. You try to find a private space, but you have cried you in, in public? public. Yeah, I fight in public. I never used to, but now I'm uh, now I'm an old woman. I'm now just like I don't me. care. You've, you've I seen don't care. the way. <laughs> I mean, I've I literally have to deal with this time bomb, like that just goes off whenever he <laughs> pleases. And like, okay, so on the back of farts, a very sweet thing that Cam said to me not long ago is that through all of his previous relationships, he never felt like he could fart in front of them and never felt like safe Yeah, that's sweet. That's sweet is definitely the <laughs> adjective I'd use. But no, I, so I think that because he feels comfortable and safe enough to fart in front of me. Because I know you're not going like, anywhere. What? I've got you locked <laughs> down. Maybe the next room. He feels like I'm not, or you feel like I'm not going to judge you too much, but it's kind of sad that you felt like you had to, I mean, I don't know how much you want to share, but you have a condition that makes probably your fart. I have Crohn's. It's not okay. a condition. It's well, not like a I, secret. I, 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 I didn't Crohn's. know how much you wanted to share. So no, I mean, you, Crohn's, it's, it's not like, you know, super AIDS. Still, I didn't, I didn't want to speak for you, but um, that, that I think 
has made it probably difficult. And I don't. Like, I'll be honest. I don't know if Crohn's is the cause of my farts or or not. I just like if people ask, I, it's easier to just be like, I have Crohn's, right? Because <laughs> otherwise, it's me, and I have to take responsibility <laughs> for it. Responsibility for your atomic farts. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I I think it's a little bit sweet that you were like you're the first person I felt safe enough to fart in front of which is yeah, yeah which is something you see forget trad wives get you a fart wife <laughs> get yourself a fart wife who doesn't care if you fart in front of them I mean I care a little bit only because it they are horrendous They're hey I mean you care horrendous. in the moment but it's not like a <laughs> it's no. not like a systemic issue I mean, it might become a systemic issue. Maybe. We'll see. Um, have you ever felt comfortable enough to fart in front of a girlfriend, Dylan? Um, have I you, don't know. Have you ever farted in front of a girlfriend? I can't remember. Probably. I don't, I don't remember it being an issue. I do remember dating someone who's ensuite just connected to their room with no door. Jesus. <laughs> That's a classic. I can't use Ellen's on suite. I'm not yeah. allowed. Well, so I have a door, but because it's usually just me in there, I tend to like keep it open. Also, I have like a, a towel rack thing over the top. It's hard to close the door because of that. But Cam, I will make him go to the second That's bathroom. The system. That's the system we've we've worked out. Because is otherwise, so one of us would just like leave the room for the other one. Yeah, yeah. I've well, told, I mean, that's what happens. I've told Cam he's not allowed to fart in my room. He has to leave I my break bedroom. That rule yeah, you time. break it all the time. But I've told you you need to. But you haven't broken the pooping in my ensuite because that also is just oh, I don't want to have to live with that like no sorry. I put I put in headphones for a different woman one time and we were in a hotel that also had that same kind of ensuite set up where there was just a hallway not a hallway but just an, an, an opening into the bathroom from the bedroom there was like just no dividing or anything um, Savages. I, I felt. I felt, <laughs> I felt bad for her because, like, we went out and got like Japanese food, and we'd been walking around. We came out to the hotel, and she kept saying that like her stomach hurt. And I eventually, I was just like, "Do you just need to go to the toilet?" <laughs> and and then she's like, "Yeah." And it was like clearly, Babe, I was lying. like, "All right, I'm to gonna I'm gonna put in my he- I'm gonna put in my headphones now. <laughs> I'm just gonna roll over in bed, and it's all gonna be fine." <laughs> What were you yeah. listening to? You go blow that shit up. I can't remember. It might have been a podcast. Oh, okay. I can't remember. But I, what if it was this podcast? What if it was? What if I was listening to this podcast in the Fellas, past? Fellas, if your girl has to shit and there's nowhere that you can go, if there's no door between you and the ensuite, just put on some APFM and APFM. We'll, we'll simulate the event. It'll be... Gosh. <laughs> so we've we've strayed away from men's emotions, and no, I mean haven't. maybe maybe this is why men aren't allowed to express yeah, maybe, themselves. Maybe farts are an emotion for men, but anyway, <laughs> who knows? It's maybe, like when a dog wags his tail, like you know, a guy's really excited when he's farting all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, are, are there? Any I got sex- tickets to monster trucks. are there any safe spaces either of you feel like you can express your emotions either with like particular people or or in particular places uh broadly no you don't feel like you can express your emotions with me outside i mean yes with you outside this room that's why i said broadly like outside of the two people with broads outside of the two people in this room and outside of the context of having a podcast like i wouldn't like uh, spill my whole deal on the podcast, but like with you guys here, um, I feel more comfortable expressing how I feel and specifically like, you know, here are my problems. Here's what's stressing me out. Whereas I don't, I, need to fart. I don't really do that, uh, with like any other friends. I have some friends who I'll talk about, like, I don't know if I'm having like some whatever drama or if there's like a specific thing that I is stressing me out, like about uni, like um, sometimes when I go to get a an extension on an assignment or something like that and they're not giving me the extension and I'm like, you know, venting, that's a different thing, but it's not so much like an emotional thing. I'm not, man, I'm just really upset and depressed about not getting this extension. It's like these fucking motherfuckers aren't giving me my extension. I will kill somebody. What about you, Dylan? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just I have a couple of friends that I can be pretty candid with. Um, I do have our group chat, which I, you know, like to every now and then just irony trauma dump in. Mm-hmm. Ironic uh, trauma dump. Um, but but that aside, like I I can have like sincere conversations with a couple of friends. I don't have heaps of people around, but I don't really believe that you need heaps. You just need a few. So the thing in I've terms noticed- of like spaces, um, not really. I mean, I'm. You know, I've mentioned openly at work. I don't just announce it, but I've I've mentioned before that I have bipolar. One person told me not to say that. Wow, that's not okay. Yeah, uh, I mean to it, say what that I have bipolar. Oh, but I think and it's not the right thing to say. But I think he was trying to help me out in the sense that he was like, maybe don't broadcast. That. Yeah, don't let people know that because people are going to treat you weird. And never let them. I I I think know. that he was trying to do that but obviously that's a projection of his own hang-ups about mental health yeah and he's assuming that everyone else will feel the same as him but like i didn't feel in the moment like particularly like oh wow i've been crushed i'm like i don't even remember how it came up but like i didn't lie about it or hide it but i'm also not really that fussed that like i mean they weren't relying on this specific friend no i mean they're not a friend and the my my boss knows and they're really the only person that needs to know in the event that it became an issue at work. Only they need to, you know, understand if I was to, I mean, I haven't, but. Be angry one day. Flip out. (laughs) So, I mean, the thing I've noticed with you guys that is like very different to my sort of social circles. So I, I feel like I have way more social circles than either of you guys. And I'm able to be, well, I'm able to be quite, candid and open and emotionally vulnerable in a lot of those circles. Like I have a lot of different people that I can go to. But also the thing that I've noticed is that neither of you have that kind of relationship with either of your parents where I am able to be quite emotionally vulnerable and open with my mum. I don't think I've always been able to. There have been times where I've not felt like I have been able to. But for the most part, I have gone to my mum to, you know, like cry or be upset and you know uh let her know how i'm feeling and just talk out stuff with her but your mum will call you and like trauma dump or whatever yeah um or not trauma dump she'll like vent about her day yeah and you so but you guys don't seem to have that so i mean saying we don't have it is like uh it wouldn't be an option if we uh, elected for it. I'm sure if we went to our parents to vent about whatever or to like have those emotional moments, they would be there in as much as they have the capacity to be there, mm-hmm. like from their own perspective. Uh, I think the difference is, uh, so I can't speak for Dylan, but my experience is that my, that our parents don't have a really good grasp of mental health issues. So right. like, Anything that they, anything that we tell them or anything that we share with them is not going to be very, like, it'll be, I don't know, they'll say that's, you know, bad or whatever. They'll be there for us, but they won't be able to do anything. And I think my, the way I'm sort of orientated with my mental health is I like solutions-based conversations about stuff. It's like, I'm having this problem, I'm having these feelings, I need a way around that, and I'm uh, having difficulty doing that on my own. That's usually the reason that I would, like, uh, do something like that with somebody. Sometimes it is just venting and I want to be heard, but the venting is a very different vibe, and I feel comfortable doing that with most people. Right. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what Dill's deal is, but, like, yeah, my, you know, our parents aren't great uh, mental health support people, um, particularly like, uh, particularly our dad, I think like, I think mum's got a little bit more, um, I would say, I want to say like emotional vocabulary, uh, emotional intelligence, a little bit more. Yeah. Emotional intelligence. Uh, I think dad struggles with that a little bit more than she does, but I wouldn't say that the bar is particularly high. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... We're sort of calling out our parents a little bit. Uh, well, you know, they're 
They're good at other things. <laughs> and they could be worse at that. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, like I've. Their I've, product of their time and environment and upbringing and things like that. I think all, all things considered, it's it's not that bad. But yeah, certainly it's not like. Um, I think it's harder to. I think it might be. I don't know. What do you think, Ellen? Do you think it's harder to share with your parents if they don't share with you? Yes, definitely. I think it does need to be two ways. And mum, because I was the eldest, uh, like she was a single parent and I was the eldest, she would share stuff with me probably uh, sooner than she should have. I think she relied on me quite a fair bit. Yeah, and so there she was, was a single mum. Yeah, so there was already that kind of established relationship where she, I was kind of like the pseudo second parent in a way where she would share stuff with me that she maybe wouldn't necessarily share with Sarah at the time um, and felt like she could um, have those conversations with me. But also uh, just going back to what Dylan was saying about they're a product of their time. Like my mum is certainly a product of her time and there was definitely a stigma around mental health and my mum had trouble with it. But after realising that both of her daughters were, you know, struggling with uh, very different kinds of mental health issues and that if she and she herself was struggling with her own mental health issues that she wasn't addressing once my sister and I were starting to address our own issues and mum was not addressing hers we kind of had to go we won't have a working relationship with you unless you start actually addressing your stuff and then we can all kind of come together and work together so I think there is some onus on parents to start addressing that sort of stuff if you want to have a good open working relationship with them but if you're happy with the way that it is now and you don't feel like you want to you know resolve or fix anything or talk about anything or change anything then nothing changes. Yeah, I think as a parent, it must be difficult to share those kinds of vulnerabilities with your kids because you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the one in control. You're supposed to be the role model. So if you're like, it's basically, it's kind of like admitting defeat or admitting weakness. It's like you're the standing in your kids' heads is going to drop if you admit I'm having these struggles. Yeah, and I think it's even more, it was even more so for my mum because, because she was a single parent and because there was a lot more pressure on her to you know, um, perform better, I guess, because there wasn't that other parent and people are already quite down on single parents. It's like, oh, you know, the children don't turn out as good and all that sort of stuff. And so any kind of criticism of mum's parenting or the way that she was as a parent in any way, she took very personally. And I can understand why she put a lot of pressure on herself and felt a lot of external pressure also and was dealing with her own trauma and her own mental health. And it was just a lot, any kind of, you know, slight on the way that she performed as a parent um, was a lot for her to handle. Also because she is very much a career woman and being, being a woman and not ascribing to those traditional roles of being, you know, a mother and a caregiver and she obviously couldn't be a stay-at-home mum, but she definitely, um, she definitely pushed herself career-wise and I think that is often, um... You sort of get left behind a little bit. You do, but also I think people... It's hard for women in certain um, in certain workforces or, or certain jobs and careers in any case, and so it was difficult for mum to to you know be a career woman and a single parent, and I think there was just a lot going on, and she uh, didn't always handle it super well. So, anything to add, Dill, about like talking to parents? Um. I think that it's just a ongoing sort of project of, you know, pushing a little bit more each time, uh, like from me, I think, because uh, I don't see them taking the lead on that. So I just kind of, you know, have conversations where I reveal a bit more or push a bit more into particular you territories. Drew, you do a little, like, uh, breadcrumbs. No, just, like, just gradually expand the um the sphere of of what is commonplace to talk about 
Yeah. I just feel like I have to lead that in conversations. You feel like they pick up on that and like run with it? I don't know. We'll see. Right. I've never been shut. Like our parents don't shut us down, at least not uh, not intentionally. Like there may be a bit of, um, oh, you know, everyone's depressed or <laughs> everyone's I've, autistic or, yeah. you know, what would it? There's, there's, but, there's but that, a lot that, of that. That's not an intentional, like there is a shutdown, but it's not an intentional. You're not special. It's not an intentional thing to kind of fob you off. It's almost trying to reassure you in a way. It's kind of like the, the guy at work telling me not to to speak about having bipolar. is. I believe the intention is good. It's just, you know, that's not really the way to handle it. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar thing when I um, explained to mum what ADHD was. She's like, because I'm like, um, you know, you forget things very easily. Uh, you forget where you left things. You lose stuff a lot. Um, you have sort of issues with uh, executive functioning. So, like, it's hard to focus on things. And mum's like, I wear a suit and tie. Yeah. Um, she's like, oh, I do that all the time. I'm like, okay, well, me too. And now I have meth, so <laughs> what's your excuse? Yeah, I um, think... I, but I, I, at, coming back to, like, the specifically the masculinity thing, do you feel like, um, I don't know, how secure in your own masculinity, Dylan, do you feel like you are? And then we'll sort of like expand out into how that impacts the way that you interact with people. Yeah, I feel completely fine. I haven't had an issue with it for... You haven't been emasculated lately? I haven't had an issue with masculinity since, you know, I was in high school. Mm. That is a big sort of like um, testing ground, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, just me and my friends were bullied a lot. I was not a... Like, I was tall, but I was very skinny and Mm. like kind of effeminate and not into masculine things like traditionally masked things like sports or anything like that. Didn't um, get bitches. At that time, no. <laughs> and so, but it's been like so long since then where like I have a, have an idea of what my brand of masculinity looks like to me in terms of how much, you know, what, like what, what the elements are like, I don't know. Cause I've, I have, I have people now like ASAP Rocky who wear dresses and have painted nails or, you know, yeah, that pe- shit's always, that's just always funny when people like blow up over that. Yeah. So I, I've got people that, that I kind of respect, you know, usually artists that set the tone for, and obviously not everyone responds well to that. There's plenty of comments under that. You know, Israel Adesanya, one of the fighters that's fighting tomorrow, his nickname is Lady Sanya, among people who don't appreciate the fact that he has painted nails or, you know, wear some outfits or whatever. Um, That's a terrible outfit, whatever you've got in front of us. Uh, John Cena wearing a skirt. Yeah, but it heels. sucks. It does. It's. I feel like the T-shirt is... is he just looks like a. he's just finished Catholic school. No, I feel he's going for like uh like big titty goth girl tomboy sort of vibe. So he's got like the high heel boots and the and the the thigh high stockings and the plaid skirt, but also like the tomboy t shirt. The issue is it doesn't go well together, isn't like I have this I get into arguments with people over Harry Styles because I think nine times out of ten that guy dresses like ass. And it's not because he's wearing a dress or he's got pearls or he's it's not anything to do with the feminine nature of his attire, it's that I usually think his outfits look bad. I think you that don't he like lo- this. He looks uh, tacky. This chainmail mirror thing. He that looks he's tacky. Wearing. He looks gaudy. He just—it's not good. And some people are into that. They're into the super flamboyant camp seventies. I just don't like it. Look at that. That's appalling. Nah, I think that rocks. I think you're wrong. He's also big on showing off his chest, which I'm—I'm I'm gonna be honest. There's there's not much to it. I don't think there needs to be. I feel like it's the vibe. He's he's got the tats. That's what the bad tattoos. That's what the ladies like is the tats. He's got a butterfly tattoo on his belly. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that 16-year-old girls like cuz he's got abs and tats. He's not super jacked, but they don't like really care about that at the moment. Anyway, Harry Styles, not Harry no styles. So, going back <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Going back to 
what you were talking about before, Dylan, how do you feel that like as a young man, that traditional mas- masculinity, that sort of version of masculinity, do you feel like it stunted your emotional growth or your your own sort of self Yeah, sure. I mean, I was very angry coming out of high school um, and it led to, I think, a lot of, uh, you know, reckless behavior and a lot of like, you know, it just like a, a lot of like projection, I guess, and a lot of being hung up on like being cool and not not necessarily manly like I didn't in the sense that I didn't like to start fucking bulking up and like you know I didn't but but there was definitely like it was coming out in a kind of like performative like you know I've talked on the podcast before about my big rock star phase that is that that was my masculinity that I was like channeling everything into Mm. were you ever concerned about being tough um yeah, of course. Like, you know, when you're bullied physically and you feel like you didn't meet those situations uh, the majority of the time, you can kind of reflect on that and be like, oh, you know, if I sh- should have done this, that, the other thing. Um, I don't really, I don't feel that now. Like I, I could be stronger. I just continue to work out and try to improve my strength and get kicked do- in the stomach. Occasionally. Yeah. Like, you know, taking, like I've, worked out for years and I, you know, it kind of fluctuates or I go in and out of things that I'm focusing on, but there's, there's an underlying sort of amount of strength and fitness there. And this year I've added Muay Thai and that's pushing it further in the right direction, but I'm tall. I'm now not that skinny anymore. Like I'm broad shouldered and like big. So I don't feel like uh, I don't know, a target. <laughs> Cause I used to walk around where we live and like, you know, people would like yell at me or whatever. Um, I got yelled at today actually on my scooter. Oh really? Yeah. Someone, uh, I was, I was scooting home from work and then, uh, somebody stuck their head out the window and went, it! wow. Yeah. Yeah. No one yells at me anymore now that I'm big. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, like, I mean, look, you you get broad shoulders and a chest that sticks out a bit and people tend to not give you as much grief. I feel like that's why I wasn't physically bullied when I uh, went to public school because I got bullied at private school, but this is before I started working out and I started working out at around like year 10-ish. So, and the thing is like most people don't start working out until after high school, not properly anyway. So if you're in good shape as a teenager, you either have a sport or you've got a really good metabolism. So like being... Which is what I had back then. I had a great metabolism. Yeah, so like being one of four people at school that actually like lifted weights properly, I was not in like amazing uh, like Chad shape, but Chad shape relative to other teenagers that ate McDonald's all the time and had like, you know, three mothers before breakfast. I mean, the photos of you, the selfies that you've taken of yourself in high school where you're all sort of sculpted are still on Facebook. You can still see those. Yeah, I haven't meaning to take those down. <laughs> you still have all of that stuff on there. I and just it's haven't just come like, back to it. I don't use Facebook. I'm not yeah, keeping... Who the fuck uses Facebook? I'm not keeping yeah. it up there for prosperity. Um, Posterity? Posterity. Posterity. Or prosperity. Either or. Um, They're not for prosperity. So I get like the the short answer is like I did have some issues around masculinity, manliness, toughness was probably the biggest one. But through just, you know, growing up and through um through seeing my value kind of validated in the partners I would have because that that is important. This is why, you know, it's it's easy to joke about incels, but something that they you, you can feel sorry for them about and they are missing out on is that when you have a partner that's like, all right, here's w- one person in the world who's finding me attractive in, in some way, you know? Um, yeah, I think there's something, there's, there's very much something to having a partner or at least just getting girls that's like a status symbol, particularly for young guys. It, and it's, well, that's the thing. It shouldn't be a status symbol, but I, there's no denying that there is some validation in... Um, securing a partner, whether it's a short-term or casual thing or if it's a long-term partner. And you shouldn't 
hang everything on external validation, but like let's not deny the fact that it is there. That's the thing that exists. So yeah, incels yeah. wouldn't exist if it weren't for that um, that external cultural drive. And so things like that, you know, with partners and then like these these masculine, feminine sort of, you know, icons, you know, ASAP Rocky, Young Thug, or I just, you know, mentioned Israel Adesanya, like he's a fighter. Like his job is to punch people in the fucking face. Like he's tough. He's He's been a world champion, but, you know, he'll wear a dress or paint his nails or wear like a choker or whatever, you know? So... All that kind of stuff, I think, is is good and kind of helps reinforce the fact that you can be a man in a variety of ways. And I feel that way currently. I have, I don't think, any hang-ups about masculinity at this point. And and some of it is kind of filled out by just you know, becoming a bigger, <laughs> a bigger man as well. Um, not in the metaphorical sense, in the literal sense of you know, feeling like I'm not at threat from, you know, the average person. Do you feel like, generally speaking, guys aren't, um, you know, quote-unquote, allowed to share their emotions in public? Because I feel like the... I feel like the culture is, like, very much... is very dismissive of, like, uh, men's problems or, like, as in, like, specific problems that men are having or issues that face men as as a group. So, like, MRAs are they get a lot of shit online and rightfully so in many instances, but there is definitely, there are things that are, there's social issues, there's socio-cultural issues that affect men in a specific way, in a unique way that don't really impact women. And I think because of that, it's easy to dismiss them because it's like, well, you've had, so much and been doing so well for so long, at least on a material level, uh, it's, it's weird that you're now like complaining, Oh, you're not, you're, uh, you know, like what's, what's one of them. It's, it's like divorce rates and stuff like that. So like, uh, child custody and things like that, things that are uniquely, uh, disadvantageous for guys in our culture or just like softer things that aren't even like written into law. Like it's not, uh, culturally acceptable, broadly speaking, I think, for guys to be vulnerable in public. And you see other guys that reinforce this where, like, you've got your sort of Andrew Tates or your Sneakos of the world that are like, you know, don't cry in public, don't be a bitch, you know, man up, whatever. Um, And then you've got platforms that are basically... They're not just acknowledging it, they're also reinforcing it and it's like the solution to that is to just become more successful so those problems don't exist. Not to talk about those problems and recontextualize them, but to ignore them until they cease to exist. Mm. Um, what about you, Cameron? What were your experiences as a young man and how did traditional masculinity uh, stunt your emotional growth, I guess. Do you feel like it did? I never felt like a young man. That's the thing is I always, I feel weird now. I don't describe myself as a man because it's like, I, it feels like the, the label feels weird for me because it's like, maybe it's a, it's a product of being young and it's a thing that's like, um, until people start identifying you as that thing, it's difficult to be like, here's, here's what I'm doing. Because like when I was, uh, when I was a kid, everyone would just either call me a kid or a boy. Um, and I would describe like, you know, males and females as either like guys and girls. So it's, I don't really, I never had a moment where I was like, here's, I gotta be a man now. I need to, I need to do X, Y, and Z. But I definitely, in saying that, I definitely did feel like, I don't know, there's this sort of like gendered pressure to perform or look certain ways. So like lifting weights is obviously a big part of that. Like bodybuilding was a big thing in our house. Like we loved uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, Sylvester Stallone and things like that. So like old 80s action hero physique was very much a uh, a target, I would say, for me. Mm-hmm. Never really got there. Um but also like um like our dad he's a very our dad is a very mask guy like he's 
uh, very stoic, very quiet and reserved, but it can has like kind of an aggressive streak, I guess, uh, particularly with... He also knows a martial art too. Yeah, he does so. martial arts. He used to be a paramedic and do... Um, like he used to lift weights and all sorts. Like very, very classic masculine archetype. He's and then dad jacked. He is dad jacked. I think he is still dad jacked. He's got the full on trad wife uh, or trad life now, you know. Five kids, still married, owns his house, goes camping on the weekends and stuff. So he's very much in that sort of world. Um, I I wonder how much that had an impact on the way that I am in either direction. Where it's like, is it is the reason that I uh had the sort of the feeling of of wanting to like bulk up and and lift weights and stuff is that a result of uh the influence of my parents and their sort of like more or less traditional gender roles or is the fact that I wouldn't say that I'm a very masculine person and wasn't a very masculine person growing up was that because there was enough masculinity in the house anyway it's an interesting question it is definitely what are your thoughts Dylan on your parents, but more especially your dad and that kind of influence it had on you as a young man. Did you feel like you needed to live up to the masculine ideal or do you feel like dad pretty much had that covered? Uh, I I don't know. Not really. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I think when you're growing up, you're always trying to sort of figure out um, who you are and what you're doing and where you fit in and things like that, but... I I didn't really feel, I don't know, it sounds like wanky, but I, I feel like I was always different. I didn't really try to be like any, you know, archetype specifically. Obviously, I'm influenced. Yeah, you'd need yeah. to be. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, didn't exist in a vacuum, but, you know, my understanding of my childhood was that I was always kind of a bit different. And dad, my like poke fun at that, but was it was never like you need to stop being like this and start being like this. Yeah, Dad made fun of us, but he he would like tease us, but it was never like, you know, you can't do X because X isn't what men or boys should do. Yeah. Like I feel like So like in a hypothetical world, if one of us wanted to do like ballet or dance or something, I feel like Dad would uh tease us up until a point where it was like a serious thing that we wanted to do. Like if either of us wanted to seriously get into dance, I think dad would be supportive of that. But I think there would still be like maybe as a result of his own insecurity, a little bit of teasing as well. Mm. Yeah. It'd be very much like a, uh, what's the, what's the movie Ellen that was also a play? Oh, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. I kept, Thinking Billy Eilish. Eilish. Yeah, or Billy English. There's, there's, there's an E in there. Billy yeah. Elliot? Yeah, it was very much a... I feel like it would have been a very uh, end of Billy Elliot sort of situation, but I never felt like Dad was discouraging uh, of us to do things that were, like, outside the norm. One of the things bas- that I'm sort of, in hindsight, a little bit salty about, but I'm also not putting in a whole lot of effort to rectify, is we didn't get, I don't know about you, Dylan, but I didn't get a lot of, like, practical, uh, like, hands-on kind no, of skills. Get, you didn't learn any dad skills. I didn't learn any dad skills. Didn't learn any man skills. Uh, I think dad tried to show us stuff. Like, he showed me he how to change me, the oil on yeah, my car. Yeah, showed me stuff with, with my car when I got my first car. Um, I think there was some other stuff, but dad was quite often a just, uh, fuck it, I'll do it myself kind of yeah, person. Yeah, dad, like, he's great, but he he's not a good teacher. And I think he knows that. Oh, he might be. He did uni lecturing at, at some point, but the, that's not, I, and, and that's also not teaching. Did uni lecturing <laughs> and also did driver training as well. So he's got some experience. He, in, I mean, his driver training of me was pretty hectic. Well, th- this <laughs> break, is the thing. I, I think there's just like a, a proximity issue when it's your own family. Yeah, Maybe. definitely. That absolutely is. I know whenever I have taught my mom or my sister anything to do with technology or anything like that. I have gotten frustrated far quicker with them than I would with anyone else. Also with you, Cameron, when we worked together and yeah, I was trying to fucking teach idiot. <laughs> I was trying to teach you how to do things <laughs> at too work. Slow. And you just weren't picking them up quick enough and I would just be like, just give it to me. Just let me do it. I, would, I don't have time to teach you. Well, I mean, <laughs> just you get know, frustrated. Like 
Maybe, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I feel like that's a different skill and it's a skill that's useful to learn because obviously like if you're going to teach anyone anything, it should be the people closest to you. If it's, an, if it's an important skill to learn, I feel like... I'm good at teaching. I've held seminars and taught people things and no, I've I done know. training I'm just before. Saying, I'm saying that if, if we agree that teaching people who are close to you is a different skill to teaching strangers... Right, okay. So like uh, I've done... When I was... Uh, I feel like when I had finished my uh, PT course, I've I had a um a girlfriend that was asking if I could do like uh personal training for her, and it's like you know feels like a perfect fit, right? Like I'm a trainer, you need a trainer, and we're also dating. So he was that. a trainer boy. <laughs> he said, "I'm not training you." <laughs> no, yeah, doing PTs for. Uh, like partners or like family members is uh, it's stressful because it's like I don't know it's all re- some people already get uh, a little bit sensitive about some things I remember when mum was trying to teach me how to lift weights initially I would ask why a lot and she would just be like because I said so and like as a trainer that's not a good answer but also um, like as a client somebody asking you why all the time is also really annoying so I can see both sides of that now. Um, but also that's a very mum response. Well, yeah. So like we were doing bench and she was like, put your hands wider. And I asked why, because it's interesting. I want to know why I would put my hands wider, because it feels natural to put them here. And she's like, because I told you to. I'm yeah. Like, your why it just sounds as, defiant though. And the way you also, Cameron, I know when you ask why questions, sometimes they it's just why. Like it's not it's not a questioning. Oh, why? Oh, why is there a reason why I should be doing that? I don't do that. You literally just go why. I want you, well. Why? I want to know why because I feel like your rules are arbitrary and bullshit. Yeah, because you're not asking. But I'm in, not a, in a child nice, asking why. You're not asking in a very nice way. It's just oh, well, why. I'll try to ask why nicely. Yeah, you should. Okay. Anyway, um, so you feel like you've got a safe space. You've got friends that you can talk to. Do you feel like? Uh, do you feel like society should make more of an effort to let uh, people express their emotions in a healthy way? Or do you feel like that already exists and guys aren't good at expressing it in a healthy way? Like, where do you feel like the the bulk of the problem lies? Is it, is it that guys well, can't I, express it? I think it? that, you know, the, the, the infrastructure exists because guys have friend groups and guys have families, you know? You can... Start all the institutions you want and all the Facebook campaigns and all the outreach hotlines and, you know, none of that is is specifically bad. But you can start all that you want, but at the end of the day, the main support network around people is their friends and family. They need to learn and be taught the skills in order to engage with that group. That's already there, you know, because that's... In in my mind, that's the best way, other than, you know, therapy in addition to that, to be dealing with your emotions is having a support network and knowing how to communicate with them. So if you've got friends, you, you've already got the thing, you know, you've already got the car, you just got to figure out how to drive it. I feel like guys aren't good at support networks. They're not good at being supportive because like, I have, I have male friends who uh, part of other friend groups and it's like it, everything is in, is incredibly su- um superficial like um like i had a friend who he was invited to go to like some fishing trip or whatever and they just like left without him there was some hiccup or whatever some sort of miscommunication but they ended up just leaving without him and it was like oh well sorry and he was like super hurt by it super crushed and like he came into work all like you know, pissed off and upset about it and was like moping all the way um, through the shift. And it's like, that's a fucked up thing to do to your friends, bro. Like, but I also feel like it's not that they were like straight up just shitty friends. I think it's like, this is just how some guys treat each other. Like the, the expectation is you just stop whinging about it. Like, you know, what am I supposed to do? You weren't, you weren't here at the time. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's not like a male thing. Maybe those maybe those guys were just assholes. I mean, it sounds like it. Really. I mean, yes, but I don't know how how common do you think that sort of attitude is? 
I don't know. I've, I don't experience that. Fair enough. Like I've I've never had friend groups or anything that uh that are like that. I've had toxic friend groups before. I've had absolutely. toxic friend groups, but not for that reason. I've had toxic friend groups where they're just I don't know. They are. I don't know. They're either jealous of you for whatever reason and feel like they need to take you down a couple of pegs in order to make themselves feel better or they're just so unhappy in themselves that they need people around them in order to belittle them and make them feel better about themselves. So do you feel like do you feel like female friend groups have got a lot of competition? Um I think it depends. So like my best mate and I, I don't think I've ever had that sense of competition. It's always been very easy breezy. It's I've never felt like I've needed to compete with her in any way, but I've definitely had friend groups or at least friends where it's felt like there's been that competition, but I've not been wanting to actively participate in that. You're it's running just, your own race. It's, I'm being drawn into it and I'm not wanting to participate, but I'm also not wanting to lose them as a friend. And it's maybe gone on a little too long. Um, and yeah, I ended up not obviously not being friends with them anymore because it just was not good. But I think in female circles, there is a lot of that, you know, you, some women will keep people around or friends around in order to make themselves feel better by putting them down. I feel like in male culture, competition with your friends is more normalized and it's, I mean, I don't know how healthy it is to be in constant competition with your friends, but like they've found a way to make it sort of like, I think it's the healthiest expression of uh, like peer group competition where you're not putting each other down and making each other feel bad. You're trying to one up each other. And that there can be a certain toxicity in that, particularly if the thing you're trying to one up each other in is a thing that you're not good at Mm. because then that, that can be uh, disheartening. But like, I feel like guys do competitive friendships in a, Maybe a less overtly destructive way, but I definitely feel like it can lead to a lot of um, inadequacy and it feel, and it can lead to a, a friend group that's not really a support group. It's like these are other people I'm in competition with, so I can't show weakness. Right. Um, we just did an hour. An wow. hour a bit. Okay. Well. Do you want to go premium? We'll go premium. I definitely need to pay though. Premium. 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 Time to pay. This has been APFM, a podcast for men, free episode. If you have not already, then please join us on the Patreon, APFM. Oh, I'd fucked up the link. (laughs) (laughs) Just type in APFM. Patreon.com slash a podcast for men. Yeah. Thank you. See ya. Bye.